The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Join us at patreon.com slash Edge to join for as little as $5 per month. We're ramping up our written content for the 2020 college football season with daily posts available to all our patrons. Plus, our Tier 2 supporters receive access to our 2020 FBS team profiles with daily updated depth charts, schedule updates, injury reports, and statistical projections. Visit patreon.com slash Edge or reach out on Twitter at Edge to learn more. Welcome back. It's the CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports, and I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, at CFB Winning Edge on the Twitter for him, and Xavier Trish, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter for him. Boys, football this weekend. I'm so excited, Nick. Let's go. We're getting it. It's happening. It's uh, FBS teams are playing. Uh, Central Arkansas and uh, Austin P was uh, it was football. Interesting. Uh, it was football for sure. But uh, we're getting the, the real thing. That's like a taste. That's like a sample, an appetizer, a teaser, if you will, to me. So uh, <laughs> we're getting a real games this week. Super excited about it, Nick. And I'm sure you are, too. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's feeling uh, it, it came on all of a sudden, it, you know, we were thinking so far in the future and then things were, uh, of course up in the air for so long. And then it, it, it's almost like it arrived, uh, quicker than anticipated, at least for me. And maybe part of that is now that, you know, trying to ramp up for the season, make sure, you know, daily, you know, I'm, I'm getting done everything I'm supposed to do every day, you know, leading up to, to the games, making sure all of our new written content is available uh, for our patrons, you know, as early as possible and, and making sure, you know, hourly updates in our team profiles when guys are opting out or injury news or we, we learn somebody's got a, a starting job uh, locked down. So a lot of things are moving and it, it sort of all hit at once, but absolutely Glad it's here and, and excited to uh, watch some of these teams play starting tomorrow night, Thursday. Yeah, Tonight, yeah. As you might be listening. <laughs> yeah, Thursday night football. Uh, excited about that for sure, Xavier. What do you think about that uh, Austin P and Central Arkansas game? Why huh? are you going to put me on that spot? Why are you gonna <laughs> do that? Because I'm, I'm genuinely interested first, in your take on that game. The first thing that comes to mind was uh, sloppy. But, <laughs> it, but 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 the, the second word that comes to mind is football. football um, yeah, it, it was it was one of those games where I was just like, ah, now I feel like all the continuity I've been talking about for the last three months that's gonna be off is correct because there was just so many overthrows and missed blocks and I was like, you know what? But it's football. You know, it yeah. was it, it's not the prettiest thing in the world, but it's my thing. So whatever, we'll take it. We'll ride with it. So. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we are going to be breaking down those week one games uh, here in a little bit. But before we get there, guys, it's just an insane amount of college football news right now. <laughs> and it's opt out central. We're not surprised by it, but it is every time you see a new name, you go, oh, oh, you know, there's a little it is a little more digging. Who who was the Redskins coach, the old, old Washington coach that said uh, 
you know, every time you lose a piece of you dies, maybe not something important, maybe just your liver. You know, he says something like that. Yeah, that that's almost wow. what uh, this that, season. Was that Gibbs or was that somebody? Else? It wasn't Gibbs. It was a guy before Gibbs. I can't uh, remember his name. Uh, but uh, it, it was uh, you know one of those old NFL films. You know when there were uh, fit only fifty cable channels and uh, NFL films was the only thing running on ESPN two for like you know the entirety of the summer. I used to rewatch those things all the time. But uh, yeah, man, uh, Jamie Newman opted out and. Uh, today, right before we started recording this, and uh, you know, you guys are both, uh, you know, Georgia fans. And Nick, we'll start with you here. Um, the, what's the disappointment like? I mean, at least you got JT Daniels, who hasn't been cleared, but uh, hopefully he'll get cleared before the SEC starts playing on the twenty sixth. Well, I mean, I've, I've said before, I, I did go to Georgia, but my fandom has. Uh, I, I feel like left me long ago not that I wish any ill will on Georgia or, or anything but it's just it's not necessarily part of me as it as it once was but uh you know for, look at this as I I feel like I have to say every week when these sort of things come up uh, I absolutely respect you know Jamie Newman's decision anybody else who makes this decision whatever the reasons are that that's fine by me. So uh, certainly, you know, understand where he's coming from, from a football perspective. Uh, I, I feel like people are overreacting. And, and I know that there was a lot to be excited about with Jamie Newman as a, a potential Georgia football player. And there, there was a lot of reason to be excited about his dual threat ability. There was a lot of uh, reason to be excited about uh, just his physical tools. I mean, I know that uh, a lot of, you know, NFL draft prep guys, uh, PFF uh, was huge on Newman. I think he was third in their uh, preseason magazine as far as their uh, quarterback rankings go. That seemed a little high for me. You know, I, I certainly could have uh, seen scenarios where maybe he played up to that level based on what we saw in the past at Wake Forest. But, you know, Jamie Newman, somebody that has uh, limited experience. I don't believe he, he's played a full season as a starter. He's been a starter in parts of two seasons. Last year he was banged up, missed some time. The, the year prior to that uh, didn't have the job coming out of uh, fall camp and, and, you know, eventually won it uh, at the end of the year. I believe there were some off the field things there. I don't know all the details, but regardless, I mean, he's, he's somebody that has certainly shown flashes and, and you see a lot of uh, reason to get excited. And, and there was also reason to get excited about, you know, a change in offensive philosophy and a desire to modernize it. And, and Newman certainly fit that, you know, sort of what you were hoping for. If, if you're, if you're a Georgia fan and saying, you know, we've been stuck in, in the stone age offensively for the last, however long, uh, which was, a, a, you know, the fan base has been pretty vocal about feelings along those lines. Jamie Newman is sort of the, the perfect quarterback to get you excited about the possibility of, of changing that. And, and, you know, maybe Justin Fields was, but uh, then Jamie Newman being the, the uh, <laughs> next best thing potentially. But, uh, you know, I, I actually, the first thing I did, as always, first thing I always do when I see news like this is go to the FBS team profiles and, and highlight the guy, turn him blue if i know he's going to the draft turn him purple if he might come back move him down to the uh bottom of the list and, and change you know the the order and and sort of see what the numbers 
do. And for Georgia, uh, first of all, I didn't even list JT Daniels as the full-time starter because he's still, as far as we know, has not been cleared for contact. So he's probably going to be the starter, but you know, we still have a little bit of time before uh, we know for sure he's going to be ready for week one. So I, I took the conservative approach and, and basically, uh, slashed him as you would on a, a depth chart with uh, true freshman uh, Carson Beck and, and then moved Juan Mathis into the, the third slot there. But, you know, Daniels, of course, is, is very highly rated. Beck was a pretty high four-star guy. So the the drop-off from Jamie Newman in, in our numbers wasn't huge. I mean, Newman was about a 90-rated player. JT Daniels is about a 90-rated player in our PGR Plus model. And, and so, you know, even taking it down a notch and, and blending his rating with the, the uh, with Carson Beck, you know, you're, you're working with an 80 quarterback on average. That's a drop, but it's not huge. And, and I went through, re-ran uh, the win projections for every game on the schedule. Georgia had been uh, expected to win 7.96 games on average out of their 10 uh, SEC uh, regular season games. That number is now 7.85. So right. they lost a tenth of a win uh, projected. And, and certainly things could play out much different. The timing of course. Right. isn't great, you know, for your projected starting quarterback to, to leave the team. So there, there are things that our numbers might not capture. But if we believe in our numbers and, and rely on them based on what's, you know, coming back, remember, Georgia's got arguably the best defense in the country. They've got talent at the running back position, at the receiver position. JT Daniels is a five-star who started 12 games as a true freshman. So the the drop-off isn't huge. It's not the end of the world. And, and you know, maybe that that highest of high ceilings might not be there if Jamie Newman did prove to be the third-best quarterback or, or even the best quarterback in the country. But, you know, the drop-off is not that big. Georgia is still fourth in our power ranking. Right. They, did, they didn't and, move a, a spot. So, And I think Xavier, you know, it's, it's different with other teams, you know, um, uh, other teams lose a big quarterback and that's 90% of their offense, you know, uh, middle Tennessee loses Asher O'Hara and they lose most of their offense. You know, we, we've talked about, uh, just his role and you can see on CFP winning edge, just a percentage of not only the passes, it's all the passes, but also half the runs. That, that he takes, but in an offense like Georgia, you know, uh, while quarterback is important, you more need to be efficient than amazing uh, to make it all work at Georgia because, you know, the uh, stance there has been uh, run the ball, play great defense, win games. So, you know, it sucks losing uh, Jamie Newman because he is the type of guy that could be a potential difference maker. But like Nick said, in terms of wins and overall outlook for the the dogs, they're going to be okay, right, Xavier? Yeah, it will be fine. And the reason why I think dog fans need to reserve their immediate hate for the move is that I think Daniels is more than a capable quarterback. Obviously, once he's cleared, I think he will be the not on starter. Um, but for me, more, more importantly, this was a move that helps our future out more than it helps our present. Uh, Brock Vandegrift, who's supposed to be coming in in the 2021 or 2022 class, I cannot remember off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, uh, number one quarterback in the country. Hit, uh, with Daniels possibly staying for more than a couple of years and we not knowing what that whole situation was going to be with him possibly registering and all that, didn't put a hamper on that recruitment. Uh, and, and for me, 
Yes, would I have loved to see Newman play for Georgia? I think he would have really helped the offense get from what was really lackluster last year and be able to do a lot of nuanced things that we haven't seen a Georgia quarterback do. Heck, since Shockley, sure. But at the same time, with the hey, I was in school for Shockley. Yeah, well, yeah, you had a great time. Yeah, that was a great time to be in school. I also played against him in high school. It did not go well. well look at the guy; he was massive. I can only imagine. He's probably bigger than your linebackers. Um, he, his his running back was three hundred pounds. It did not go well. <laughs> that's a whole nother story I, I don't, i'm sorry yeah yeah we'll, yeah we'll no, for another day yeah yeah <laughs> nick was nick's face was in the ground um oh i didn't play i wasn't oh, any good <laughs> but um yeah from a recruiting standpoint it's actually probably a positive that daniels is going to have an opportunity to go out there and play this year test the waters if he has a great year maybe he leaves and, Von, and vandergriff comes in right away and ends up being ends up playing right away if not we know that Daniels is going to play, and there's not a worry, a worry about him possibly redshirting because Newman is in front of him. So I think from a recruiting standpoint, it's a positive. Obviously, for the present time frame, which a lot of people are, are harping on right now, it's a minimal negative because I do think Georgia is still good enough to win 80% of its ball games. Now, obviously, the Bama game is a whole other situation. Florida is a whole other situation. But if you don't think – we beat Auburn with – Grayson Lambert at quarterback. I don't, you know, and that Auburn team was light years better than we were, and we did it with defense. Our defense is still going to be excellent. They're still going to be ridiculous, and it's going to be really tough to score against us. Just like it was last year, our offense may not be as good, but we saw last year how many games we won off of that. So, Yeah, exactly. And Nick's not a uh, Georgia fan, but he did spend 10 minutes talking about Jamie Newman. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> he looks at me like, are you surprised? You know, uh, it, it's okay. It's okay. I, I'm not. I'm not hey, saying, Nick. I'm, I'm ready to saying. talk ten minutes about Jamar Chase. Uh, I'm ready we, to talk ten. Minutes. We, we don't you, need you ten minutes on all Tate these going? guys. You know, huh? we don't need ten minutes on all these guys. You know why? Because they're not yeah. around anymore. Uh, that that's Good why. So uh, and uh, obviously, uh, you know, a big big blow to LSU. Uh, and you know, Coach uh, O has talked about how there's guys that are still on the fence that may opt out, but we did get a couple really big ones for them. Jamar Chase. Uh, potential first rounder, Boletnikov, you know, uh, uh, award list guy, and uh, Tyler Shelvin yeah. both opted out and are expected to just go and prepare for the draft now. So uh, LSU uh, is, I'm not going to call him a sinking ship, but uh, they're, they've sprung a leak for sure, Nick. Yeah, LSU has been, has been really fascinating to watch during the offseason. Because, you know, obviously we all know what they lost from last year. Uh, just guys graduating, you know, number one pick yeah. in, the, in the draft. Uh, guys leaving early for the draft. They had double-digit guys drafted. Uh, and, and then after that, there were sort of these defections through the transfer portal that we weren't really expecting. A lot of uh, guys moving, you know, uh, we, we've got a transfer to Oklahoma State. We've got a transfer to Louisiana Tech, UAB this week, TCU, Texas Tech, and and you know somewhat lateral moves. A lot of guys who were probably expected to play pretty big roles, maybe even start this year, ended up deciding to to uh, move on and and uh, play somewhere else. So that always raises you know my antenna just a little bit. Why are why is 
you know, pe- why are people choosing to leave this program, whatever it is, especially just coming off a national championship. So, uh, you know, that was a little weird. And, and then, of course, everything uh, that happened this spring and summer has led to some of these decisions, three of them now uh, guys opting out and entering the NFL draft, Chase and, and Shelvin, absolutely are, are, you know, first round pick type talents. And, and uh, Shelvin is, is somebody that, uh, you know, at 350 plus pounds moves like he's 300 max and, and just, you know, can eat up space, can, uh, is productive. You don't really see interior defensive linemen, you know, fill up the stat sheet, but he had what 20 something tackles last year and, and a ton of, uh, tackles for loss and, and, you know, well, only three tackles for loss, but, but somebody that, that was not just a space eater. He was somebody that was also, you could see his production in the, in the box score as well. But LSU is, is kind of got the feel of an expansion team right now. I mean, they, they are in the triple digits and, and the low triple digits in returning production and, almost every category. I mean, they're down to 27% of their rushing yards. They're down to 21% of their receiving yards, mm. uh, th- you know, under 40% of tackles, mm. under 30% tackles for loss, under, you know, they're at 23% of all Havoc plays. So when you add up sacks, tackles for loss, interceptions, pass breakups, all that stuff, I mean, th- they've lost a ton of Production and they're they still hope LSU. That pays off. They better hope it does. Well, they're they're by my count, there is no more depth. I mean, there's <laughs> there's plenty of talent. They are still right. LSU. They're bringing in you know top five caliber classes, and they do have Derek Stingley, who might be pound for pound the best player in college football, especially and he would be gone if he was eligible. Now. I bet so. potentially, and and so you know they they've got talented guys they brought in uh jabril cox who seems to be the real deal at, at linebacker the north dakota state transfer they brought in you know eric gilbert who seems you know everything we're reading is he's a generational tight end talent and, and you know so so there are frontline guys that are going to be fine but the depth really isn't there i mean we, we've heard ed orgeron talk about that he needs to uh, potentially bring in a, a grad transfer in the secondary. You know, they're they're barely able to fill out a two deep in, in our secondary uh, depth chart. And, and that's not what you expect from LSU. You expect them to have a wealth of options no matter what. Everybody who's on the list is awesome. Five-star, four-star, uh, everybody is highly rated, but there's just not that many of them anymore. So if injuries hit, if, if we see the offensive line miss a week of practice, uh, like they did, you know, a large portion of it last week. LSU, the the margin for error is already small enough, and, and because they lost so much coming in. But now that guys are, you know, opting out even more, there's some rumblings. Orgeron said that some other guys have talked to him about potentially doing it still. So I, I don't know, man. I mean, they 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 are uh, a solid team, talented enough to beat anybody on any particular day, but they are dropping because the, the numbers just keep falling little by little. They're down to seventh in our rankings. They were fifth for a long time, fourth in the SEC. I still feel like we're a little bit high. I know in uh, SP Plus from Bill Connolly, they're down in the teens now uh, based on, on his update. So, you know, last year's team performance is, is doing a lot of work, and, and that's why LSU is probably as high as, as they are. Maybe we're a little high on them this year compared to being a little low on them 
for most of last year, but they're slowly, you know, moving down and down the more guys opt out. So from a football standpoint, it's a, it's a little bit of a concern. I, uh, I strike my Jamie Newman comment from the record. You're absolutely right. Uh, same amount of time spent talking about uh, uh, LSU for sure. But Xavier, uh, 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 LSU losing uh, a lot of players. I mean, it's Chase and Shelton in this one, but uh, obviously a lot went to the draft, like Nick said. And uh, Coach O says that there's uh, more guys kind of on the fence about opting out. So uh, a tough blow already. Uh, yeah, and I just think that right now, whew, to be an LSU fan has got to be tough. Uh, right now, you are losing the key parts of the team from last year, and that's what makes this so difficult for them. Um, you know, they already lost so much talent to the draft. You know, Nick hit it on the head of how much is returning on their team and how little that actually is, but how much, you know, was made up of Chase, Shelvin, and, you know, like you said, there's guys who have talked about not coming back. And that's a big worry for them because they don't have the depth to lean on like they did last season. And I think if you're LSU right now, you've got to just be – if you're Ed Orgeron, I know you're not trying to convince kids to play, but at the end of the day, you got to win games. And if I was him, I would be like, tell me now. Like, I need to know right now what's going on because right now it's tough for me to field a team off the top of my head right now that I trust going into week one. Uh, and especially trust in, in an all SEC schedule. And so that's got to be really tough for LSU at the moment. I think that, you know, my prediction of LSU not being worthy of their, I think it was top five ranking last week um, in last week's podcast is just being proven more and more due to the fact that more and more people are deciding to leave the university. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that for sure. And then we had another big time opt out here, Nick, in uh, Kenneth Gainwell, uh, Memphis dropped. Uh, from 23 to 25, so a little bit more off the top for Memphis losing a Kenneth Gainwell than Georgia losing Jamie Newman. Yeah, yeah, and, and this one, I mean, the, the same you know preamble applies, but even more so with Kenneth Gainwell, who went public that he's lost you know multiple uh, family members, including an uncle, just in the in the last week uh, was laid to rest after uh, you know getting. COVID-19 and, and passing away. So uh, it, it's very, very personal for a lot of these guys. And, and Gainwell uh, specifically mentioned that as, as a big part of his decision. And, and so certainly, certainly respect that. Certainly wish the best for, for he and his family. Uh, again, from a you know football standpoint, it's a, it's a big loss. And, and this time last year, nobody was talking about Kenneth Gainwell. So there's every chance that Memphis has players on the roster that will be able to come in and, and, uh, you know, be able to give them similar levels of production, maybe not one guy, maybe it's Asa Martin, maybe it's uh, uh, Rodriguez Clark, who, who seems to be uh, kind of in that top spot right now. Uh, but they, they've got playmakers. They, we've, we've seen it in, in uh, bits in the past, and, and they have a pretty short track record, but they've, they've built, you know, an established track record of, of getting guys ready uh, at the running back position and, and being highly, highly productive. So I think Memphis is, is going to be fine. They're still one of the most talented teams in the AAC. They're one of the most talented uh, G5 teams for sure. Our projections game to game really didn't change much. Part of that is the running back position counts less than uh, quarterback and, and some others, but uh, you know, it, it, it's still a, a disappointment not to be able to see them, on Saturdays this fall, but uh, certainly hope that he'll be in a, a position 
to have a long and uh, successful uh, pro career afterwards. Yeah, Xavier, I mean, uh, you know, uh, tough blow for Memphis, but they seem to bounce back with running backs pretty well here, especially recently. Yeah, and I think that just it's a plug-and-play system. You know, when I look at Memphis, I think they're an offense that doesn't necessarily need a superstar. They don't need a guy to be the guy for that offense to work, and they've shown it year after year. Nick hit around the head. Kenneth Gainwell was not somebody that we were talking about before last season. And that's just because I believe that that offense is so dynamic that given the right – given a player who understands the system and added to whatever talent he has, they're going to play to his strengths. They did it last year with Gainwell, and they're going to do it this year with whoever decides to plug in, who they decide to plug and play, whether it's one guy that decided to put in his place or multiple guys. They will figure out a way for that offense to be just as explosive. And when you have an offense that is more of a, an air raid, five-out kind of style, you really just want athletes. You know, it doesn't necessarily, you know, one great athlete can take it over the top, but most of the time those kind of offenses are really plug and play for a lot of the people that they will recruit. Yeah, exactly. So uh, hopefully we, we get, uh, you know, we get a new Kenneth Gainwell uh, out of this situation. I think that's what we're all uh, crossing our fingers for. So we'll see if that does happen for Memphis. Uh, a couple other uh, bits of news here. Uh, Texas A&M defensive backs, Elijah Blades and Derek Tucker, both former and potential sp uh, starters, opted out of the season. UCF has lost 10 guys, including two defensive starters, most notably cornerback uh, Tay Gowan. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're going to be dipping a little bit in the overall rankings, I'm sure, Nick. Um, and then uh, App State's uh, big-time wide receiver Corey Sutton decided to opt out. And uh, then just a couple other ones. Washington linebacker Joe Tryon has met with an agent, meaning that he is not going to come back to the Huskies. And according to uh, a, a running tally from Athlon Sports, 115 FBS players have opted out uh, to date right now. And I think that is going to be a low number before we see the SEC play in, um, in week four, Nick. So uh, your thoughts on the most recent opt-outs and that number specifically. Uh, you know, a, a lot of these teams, it's a hit to their depth. Uh, we haven't seen a, a lot at the quarterback posi uh, position specifically other than Newman now. But, um, you know, that, that, those are the quarterbacks are the ones that are going to have the biggest impact on our right. rankings. Obviously, they carry the most weight, you know, in our individual rankings, they carry the most weight uh, for anybody that does power ratings, you know, odds makers and, and things like that. But, you know, these things sort of add up over time. And when you get double digit guys like UCF does, that's it's worth something. And, and you know, there were two defensive starters that UCF lost. Tay Allen is somebody who does have an NFL future. I mean, he, he's somebody that uh, potentially could have left and, and gotten drafted this past year. He's somebody that you know, I, I'm I'm certainly no expert, but I would anticipate is is a you know third or fourth round, maybe at the worst type guy. He's somebody who's had a productive career and, and has shown uh, some skills. So uh, certainly understand, you know, again and and uh, but it's it's a, a a hit to depth. And and even if the other eight guys were maybe going to contribute just a little bit, uh, losing ten guys from a, you know 85 scholarship players or a 100 man roster or whatever it is that's a big chunk. And, and so, you know, the next injury counts that much more. And, and so it's, it's something that we're just going to have to uh, 
keep an eye on. It's something that coaches are, are obviously going to have to deal with. Uh, players have to take care of themselves for sure. But, uh, you know, coaches are going to have to, to figure out how, how are we going to get through this? How are we going to uh, practice as, as well as we can? How are we going to implement guys, uh, you know, in different packages and things like that? Are we going to have to cross-train multiple positions and, and all this stuff? So uh, we say it every week, and, and unfortunately we're going to keep, you know, having to talk about it each week probably for, for the rest of the year. But uh, UCF, that just that number, 10 players, kind of stuck out immediately. I mean, they're, you know, Corey Sutton's a big loss. But he was out in and out a little bit last year with an injury and, and a suspension at the beginning of the year. So, you know, I have to say it's probably going to get over it. But when you see 10 guys, you think, wow, that's I, I feel a little silly maybe now for saying UCF's going to make the playoff this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you, your thoughts on uh, the, the rest of these opt outs here, Xavier. I mean, you know, a uh, couple couple decent sized names, but uh, I think just more jarring is the overall number. Absolutely. Um, and it's just one of those situations, especially with UCF. If you feel dumb about your national championship or your playoff pick, I definitely feel dumb about saying Dylan Gabriel is going to win the Heisman. Um, because, you know, but he didn't lose. He didn't lose too many playmakers. Maybe maybe now they play more shootouts. This, yeah, this is true. But if they don't <laughs> win, if Scott, if they don't win games to get to the playoff, like Scott says, then he probably doesn't win it. Uh, but the number of, of people who have decided to opt out doesn't necessarily surprise me. I think a lot of kids were going to opt out of this season. If it wasn't going to be before the season started, I think, you know, one or two games, we might see another flurry of them opt out. If, you know, a couple of teams do pop with a lot of coronavirus positive tests after week one or two, don't be surprised if you see another, uh, another, you know, large set of kids decide to opt out. And I think that that's just them being safe. You know, these kids watch the news. They're very intelligent. You know, they are no, they know what they're facing and they understand that for them, the risk is not worth it for some of them, you know, and, and ultimately that's just the decision that they've made. I think ultimately well, what we'll see from this season is what we'll see how much power the players really do have. Uh, and they're showing that to an extent, deciding to opt out. And I am 100 percent behind their decision making to do so. Yeah, exactly. So a couple other um, news and notes. And just, by the way, just imagine how big that number would be if every team was still playing. It would be mm-hmm. like 300 and something, and uh, uh, we would all be uh, – I, I think there would be more panic if all the teams were playing just because of the, the sheer number. I mean, a hundred over 100 doesn't look great, but, you know, you got almost 100 teams still in. So what is that, one and a half – uh, players per team, it doesn't seem like a ton overall opting out in the grand scheme of things. So uh, I just wish there were a tool out there that would allow me to keep, you know, stay up to date. I know when this news happens and see how it's going to affect the depth chart, the overall team strength. That's right. Wouldn't that be? Yeah, cool? that would be just the best. I hope someone comes up with that real right? soon. And it's available <laughs> on a Patreon, maybe like patreon.com slash CFB winning edge, something like that. You know, I'm just spitballing ideas here. So, uh, but a couple other news and notes before we dive in on these games, I'm going to burn through these and you guys can uh, tell me, um, you know, just how you're going to react to them here. Auburn actually practiced on Tuesday, first time in a week. So uh, back to practice for them, even with some players opting out. Uh, DJ Turner transferred to Pitt. He's immediately eligible, immediately eligible as a grad transfer and Pitt wide receiver coach uh, Chris Beatty. 
Um, he coached him for three years at Maryland, so a nice fit there. Duke starting center Jack Wollabaugh, an all-ACC candidate, suffered a torn ACL. He is out uh, most likely for the whole year. A retro freshman Kyron Williams has emerged as a potential starter, a running back for Notre Dame, according to head coach Brian Kelly. Um, and then a bunch of stuff we covered on ITL, uh, the CFF pod yesterday, but just so you guys know, Raheem Blackshear got his waiver for immediate eligibility. He's good to go. Uh, Lincoln Riley announced that Spencer Rattler is going to start the season. Same thing at Florida State with James Blackman. Uh, Texas State was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, Brady McBride uh, is the starter now. Uh, Tyler Vitt um, backing him up. He started last year. Uh, BYU announced that Zach Wilson has been named the starter. That's what we expected. Same thing at South Alabama with quarterback Desmond Trotter. He is going to start uh, tonight's game against Southern Miss. Uh, Virginia is going to go with Brennan Armstrong over uh, Keaton Thompson, but you know I would say that's probably a little tenuous, but he's going to get first crack. Army a little bit surprising because we like Jabari Laws, but Christian Anderson is going to start. doesn't mean Laws won't have an impact on the game. just means Anderson is going to start that game. Um, still a little bit of a debate between Mac Jones and Bryce Young at Alabama. And um, all the, the news has been uh, pretty positive about Bryce Young, but it still seems to me, if I was betting, I would still pick Mac Jones. But uh, that's getting closer and closer as the days go by. Marshall named Grant Wells uh, their starter. He is at least listed on the top of their depth chart against their, uh, against their uh, in their first game against Eastern Kentucky. North Texas is going to split quarterbacks. So we're going to see some Austin on and Jason Bean this week as co-starters against Houston Baptist. And um, just before we start recording Wednesday, ULM announced uh, DC uh, Mike Collins has resigned. So uh, the Warhawks scheduled to open the season September 12th against Army. So uh, a little surprising that he opted out too, but um, lots of, of little news and notes here, Nick. Yeah, I mean, a couple of surprises and, and uh, the, you know, the news out of Notre Dame is, is interesting to me. It kind of struck me because we've, we've talked off and on all off season about who's going to be the guy there. It seemed like, you know, Smith or Armstrong kind of had the inside track. We're excited about the true freshman Tyree. And, and really, I don't know if we've said Tyron Williams once before this and, and yeah. to hear that he's really moved to the front of the pack, according to uh, Brian Kelly is a, a bit of a surprise. And, and they also moved some guys into that uh, position group from, from other places. They moved a, a wide receiver, they moved a linebacker uh, into the, the running back position. So they're, they're creating some competition there. I mean, they, they lost uh, Trevor Spates, the transfer from, uh, Stanford was in for a little bit, but was never able to practice, had to medically retire. So they're trying to figure out, you know, who's going to be the guy. I, I still think Tyree in the long term has the the highest upside, but, you know, we, we have to know the name Kyron Williams now. He's going to be potentially the, the first guy to get a handoff for Notre Dame this year in their uh, college football playoff potential season. Uh, so important to, important to know that, but uh, a lot of quarterback news. It's good to get a lot of these cleared up. We'll, we'll touch on Texas state a little bit. We'll touch on army a little bit, uh, later on. And, and, uh, the, the, you know, when you lose a defensive coordinator, that one, I think, you know, jumps out most of all, when you're losing a guy 10 days before you're supposed to kick the season off, ULM actually was supposed to kick the season off this Saturday, but then they had their, their game, uh, postponed with Troy uh, because of a, an outbreak there on campus. But uh, 
uh, you know, 10 days before you're kicking it off, you're getting ready to play a uh, pesky triple option team that's always difficult to, to game plan for. You know, obviously it's a, it sounds like it's a personal decision and, and he felt like it was something he had to do um, based on the, the statement weird, I read though. just real quickly. But it's, yeah, it, you know, the timing is certainly not great. And so uh, we understand if there's a health concern, we, we certainly sure. uh, understand a, a lot. But, yeah, timing, uh, if you're trying to get ready to, to start a season and you're going to kick off in 10 days, you've started practice, uh, to have your defensive play caller leave at this point is uh, not, not ideal if you're a, a team or a head coach or, or program in general. Right. I mean, it's weird, but 2020, you know, just throw it on the pile of weird. You know what I mean? So, uh, Xavier, your uh, reactions to any of those news or notes? Yeah, I I feel really bad for Duke. Uh, This was an offensive line that was actually going to be pretty good. Uh, They they have a couple of pieces on that offensive line that PFF, uh, when we did our our picks, I think for All-American, there were a couple of names that were on that list for Duke that had an opportunity to be an All-American this year. Definitely an All-ACC candidate as well. Uh, that the offensive line and defensive line were going to be the big, like, bell cows for the Duke team. But obviously, losing the probably the most vital piece of an offensive line in the center position was going to be, or is just going to be a really big hit. Um, I think that they're gonna, you know, and to have it happen so close to game week, you know, yeah. they haven't had any time to prepare for this. Uh, but next man up. Um, as far as okay, as much as yes, you have to announce a starter at the quarterback position. Come on, guys. We knew Spencer Rattler was going to play. Was there another quarterback that was going to play other than James Blackman? Uh, You know, Zach Wilson, one of my favorite quarterbacks in college football. I'm happy to see him back at the starting position. But let's not let's not act like it was it was, you know, anything to be surprised about necessarily from those few ones. Um, And and I was going to touch on the uh, on the defensive coach leaving, uh, but I I don't know. yeah, who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll find out more soon. It's one of those situations where I hope it is a family concern. It is a you know a, a decided a decision not to to coach because you don't want to put your family in that kind of situation. Or right? Like no, something has already happened. Yeah, right. Absolutely. You know, especially with the way that you know things have been coming out about coaches left, right, and center. That worries me. That you know who knows what it could be. You know, in, in that kind of situation. So I, I'm really hoping that this is. Just he he just didn't feel comfortable coaching in this atmosphere. Wanted to keep his family safe and decided to resign. Uh, but like you said, we'll find out more about it as it goes on. All right. Well, let's uh, dive in to uh, these games here, and let's just go ahead and kick it off with the very first one here, Nick. It's South Alabama at Southern Miss. Uh, you know, we we've got um, what's the spread on this game? Do you have it? Yeah. So at, at last check, when I checked this morning. Uh, Southern Miss was a 15-point favorite. The total uh, is 53-and-a-half. So uh, that's come down just a little bit, both of those. Southern Miss opened as a 16-point favorite, and, and the uh, total was 58-and-a-half. Uh, so, you know, stay, stay a little bit, but it's it's been tightening uh, some after the news that Southern Miss has, has lost, uh, what, four starters, four returning yeah. starters mm-hmm. uh, have opted out, and, and, you know, three of those have, have – officially entered the transfer portal as well as, you know, a couple of running backs that were going to be in the mix. And, and so, you know, people obviously read those as headlines and, and it, it's worrisome. I mean, we talked about uh, how UCF losing 10 guys and, and only two of those were starters. I'm a little bit worried. And 
Southern Miss, you know, the, the margin for error is even slimmer there. And to lose five starters or four starters uh, is big, including, you know, your two best defensive players for sure. So it, it certainly is understandable that, that this number would drop a little bit. But this is one that, you know, if, if you're a, a patron, you've read something every day from me so far this week on uh, South Alabama and, and Southern Miss. And, and you've seen sort of how our projected point spreads have, have played out over the course of the offseason. This is one that we saw basically a, a three-touchdown uh, projection, uh, you know, most of the year, and, and it has tightened a little bit, but it's it's right around twenty right now, as far as you know, where we put everything into the mix, all our coaching stuff, all our historical team performance stuff, and, and you know, spit out our, our official projection. Uh, we we still see about twenty and a half points difference between Southern Miss and, and South Alabama. Now we have incorporated some new things uh, on Mondays. I, I now release this thing called Matchup Mondays, where you can see sort of the, uh, the uh, you know, a lot of our position-by-position position breakdowns. And, and Southern Miss has an edge in every uh, position group other than linebacker, and that's, you know, a slight, a slight edge to, to South Alabama. They've got an edge in every coaching metric, whether we're talking about head coach rating, offense coordinator rating, you know, our, our team performance stuff. I mean, Southern Miss – this, this bar is all, you know, black and gold uh, that, that shows the edges between each team. So, you know, that, that makes you think, okay, Southern Miss probably should be a, a pretty heavy favorite. We drilled down a little bit more. We've got a couple of new uh, projection tools that I'm excited to try out that actually see this as a pretty, you know, a, a tighter game than, than what our overall projection would see. In talent edges, where we strip out all the coaching stuff, strip out all the history, and we're just looking at talent, looking at our roster strength at each position, looking at things like the overall 247 sports rating, the, the starters on each team, that's, that's, there's not much of a gap there. Southern Miss, if, if we did that, they'd be about a touchdown favorite. So obviously you're thinking, okay, you know, 17, 15, whatever. Uh, Southern Miss, you know, might not might not be the pick. South Alabama could keep things close, and, and there's some reason to be optimistic about South Alabama. You talked about uh, Desmond Trotter. When he took over as a starting quarterback the last four games last year, South Alabama got a lot more competitive. They finished the season uh, with a big upset win over Arkansas State, who went on to win a bowl game. Uh, so there, there's you know some momentum maybe going into the offseason. People are getting a little bit more optimistic about South Alabama. The talent's not that different. Uh, at, at this level, at least as far as our numbers go. And then we look at, you know, just the history stuff. So we strip out all the players, all the talent stuff. I'm, I'm trying to get like a 360 view of this game in as many ways as possible. And, and that's sort of what we're trying to put out uh, to our patrons. But when, when we do that and we just look at based on our projected scoring margins with our, our statistics uh, that takes into account team performance history, coaching performance history, then we see it as a 13-point uh, Southern Miss advantage. So both of those lean to South Alabama, but then our, our official pick, quote-unquote, uh, falls on the side of, of Southern Miss still. We think there's enough of an edge at the quarterback position with Jack Abraham, you know, Tim Jones, wide receiver. They've got some Juco guys, got some playmakers. They brought in some uh, new running backs. They do have an, a new offensive coordinator, but uh, 
there's there's some hope based on his work that he did actually at ULM uh, last year. Uh, I think they'll be able to run the football a little bit better, and and hopefully all those losses and, and transfer portal entries won't hurt them too bad. So we're we're still seeing Southern Miss as uh, sort of the go-to here. Our official final score projection, as far as all our numbers go, uh, shakes out with uh, Southern Miss forty-one and, and South Alabama. 20 on this one. So we do see it a, a little bit of a higher scoring game uh, would lean to the over, but uh, Southern Miss, we think is, we think is the better team. At least our numbers. do. Xavier, your thoughts on this, uh, this game, the Southern Miss versus South Alabama game. Yeah. Um, obviously I, I went through the numbers and I based solely off of what I watched last year in both programs and also the talent edges. When I look at Southern Miss, I just look at a team that we all in our podcast decided that Southern Miss was a team that could be in that second tier uh, in their conference and a team that could possibly compete week in and week out. Whereas when we looked at South Alabama, it was one of those situations where I think we genuinely think South Alabama are a couple of years away from that type of situation of competing in the Sun Belt consistently day in and day out. And for me, I just, the the quarterback position is what really did it for me. When I looked at both offenses, I just saw an offense that was going to be, more, that was going to be more prepared to play, and what's such a weird season. Uh, when you look at South Alabama, when you look at – I'll start with Southern Miss. When you look at Southern Miss, you look at a senior-laden offense. They've got a senior at quarterback. They've got a junior and a senior at running back. They've got two seniors and two juniors at the wide receiver position. This is a very senior-laden offense with three seniors on the offensive line as well to go with that. And when you look at a South Alabama team, it's not the same exact narrative. There's some youth there. And with that being the case of that sophomore quarterback, sophomore running back, for me, I just feel like Southern Miss is going to not only be the better team, but come in more prepared and ready to go in what has been a shortened offseason. And that's going to mean a lot to me in these week one matchups is who knows their system the best. That might be the the thing that keeps you in the ballgame or is what gets you blown out at the end of the ballgame. We saw it a little bit in, in the Central Arkansas game last week where in the second half, it just looked like Central Arkansas came out with a plan and was able to execute that plan better uh, then, dang, the name just escaped my just escaped me. What? Austin, Austin P. P. Austin P. Were yeah, absolutely, and that is going to go be, P. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Come on, that, that was that was just weird. I lived in Nashville for four months. That's it's a thing. Oh, <laughs> uh, but that's that that was a very key part of their comeback in the second half, and obviously them winning the game at the end of the day was they're able to execute from. The, from the second half onward. And for me, I think Southern Miss is just going to be able to execute better, being more senior-laden, and that's why I have Southern Miss winning by three touchdowns. Plus, it might get ugly. I'm going to go with it going to get ugly. I think I'm going to have Southern Miss winning by 28. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I, – I, I, I would pick Southern Miss to beat the spread. I don't know if I'd give them a four-touchdown lead here because, uh, like Nick said, you know, you look at the, the talent numbers uh, – uh, Fairly close. South Al- Alabama loves to be a bipolar team, though. You know, uh, they're, they're uh, just just from what I have seen from them. Some it seems like some games, man, they were just in it. Now they're down by thirty. You know, uh, or you know, how how is South Alabama? You know, staying with this team. Uh, you know, later in games and stuff. And there's always some NFL talent that comes out of South Alabama too. It seems so. Um, you know, but neither one of these teams had a spring practice or anything. Uh, the line is 15. I'm going Southern Miss on that one. Uh, fairly easy. A game I'm more looking forward to, Nick, is uh, this first Saturday game that we have here. Middle Tennessee playing against Army. 
Army three and a half point favorites. It opened up at five and a half. So uh, Middle Tennessee gaining a little ground, even with losing uh, some running backs there. So a little surprising there. Over is 56. What are your thoughts on Middle Tennessee at Army? So I'm excited to to watch this game. I, I think that Army, you know, both these teams took a, a step back from what we expected in, in 2019. Both of them missed bowl games. Uh, we expected better, you know, at, at, at minimum, I think we expected bowl games from both these teams. Army was, you know, considered a, a preseason top 25 potential type team. And, and we were talking if, if they can somehow upset Michigan and they almost did, we were talking about how they could go undefeated, but you know, they, they end up with a losing record, had a ton of injuries, you know, quarterback position on the offensive line. I was really high on Jabari laws. I was impressed when he got an opportunity to step in and, and play uh, when Kelvin Hopkins went down their, their quarterback coming into last year. Uh, but you know, they decided that, that Christian Anderson gives them a, the best chance at the start of the season. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what that's all about. Anderson got a start uh, against Navy and, and, you know, drove Army down at the beginning of the game for a touchdown, played, you know, okay, showed some flashes of athleticism, showed that he's going to be able, uh, you know, going to be dangerous uh, on the ground as we would expect with, with an Army quarterback. The offensive line graded really, really well last year basically as always as, as a uh, you know, rushing offense, uh, run blocking unit, I should say. Uh, and, and, you know, they're, they're going to give teams fits. This is, uh, if memory serves, this is a, a late addition to the schedule. Yeah. You know, our, uh, Middle Tennessee was not planning on playing Army. They were not having a triple option period, you know, in, in winter walkthroughs or, or, you know, as they're prepping for spring practice, that sort of thing. So, so that is worth something. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I know that teams that are opening up with triple option teams or, or play a triple option team, you know, as your rival, whatever, forever, when Georgia had Georgia Tech on the, the schedule, you know, there, there would be uh, some triple option periods of practice sprinkled in throughout, whether it's in the spring or, or uh, even in fall camp, stuff like that. So, uh, well, that'll that'll come up a little bit later as well because you know you have a coaching staff that maybe is not used to uh, preparing for the triple option. That's that's a, a relatively important deal, and and we've seen uh, the the game last week. I mean, Austin P came out in in sort of a, a funky looking you know, pistol, shotgun, flex bone, uh, and, and broke off a 75-yard run first thing before anybody could, uh, you know, sit down in, in front of the television, basically. And, and so that sort of thing tends to happen more often than you might expect it when you're playing uh, a, a style of offense that you're not used to. Sometimes it takes a drive or, or uh, a, you know, giving up a huge play kind of before you can settle yourself down and, and then you know, sort of recalibrate and, and uh, Central Arkansas eventually did that. Middle Tennessee is going to have to try to guard against that. They're a team that struggled a lot on defense last year. They uh, had some major injuries on that side of the ball. Reed Blankenship is a All-American type uh, defensive back. He missed, you know, basically half the season. Uh, they only bring back three defensive starters from last year's team that that ranked, you know, in the triple digits and some uh, traditional uh, metrics as far as yards given up and, and yards per play. So, uh, you know, this this has the uh, the feel of a high-scoring game, even though we don't necessarily expect that usually with Army because they play, 
you know, somewhat slow, but uh, Army uh, has the opportunity, has athletics, uh, athleticism at the, the running back position, at the quarterback position. They can break off some long runs. Yeah, they, and, and they, and if so, they start rolling downhill, like remember the bowl game against Texas a couple years ago, uh, if they start rolling downhill, they'll just run you yes, right over. Yes, every absolutely. Time. Absolutely. And, and we've seen them do that to inferior competition and, and teams that they are actually more talented than. And, and that's sort of an interesting thing before I get too far off the, uh, the, the, on a tangent there, our talent edges don't, don't treat the, the service academies very well. These guys rank, you know, in, in the one twenties at best in, in our talent metrics, all, uh, you know, army, Navy and air force basically every year, just because the, the caliber of athlete they, recruit is not the same on paper as uh even other you know g5 teams and, and so uh they do a lot with scheme but but as far as talent the way that we capture it in our numbers it works for most teams we think that's why we do it but army it's really really tricky so uh you mentioned army's a favorite understandably so our projected point spread has army uh winning by two even our projected scoring margin taking in all those stats into account has it at five uh but our talent edges think that middle tennessee should be a 10 point favorite so you know factor that in a little bit i'm not sure i'm going to put a ton of weight on that i'm, I'm super excited to, to watch asher o'hara uh, i'm interested to see how they deal with the running back position after uh, their two p5 transfers opted out uh, I'm interested to see, you know, they've got some really, two really good uh, defensive players in DQ Thomas and Reed Blankenship, but they've got to rebuild the rest of that unit that wasn't very good last year. So I'm excited to see it all play out. Middle Tennessee should have a talent edge. Army should have a schematic edge. And the way everything sort of shakes out, we, we think Middle Tennessee can hang in here. Uh, we do project it pretty close. And uh, we've we've got the final score here being Army thirty and, and Middle Tennessee twenty eight. Should be a really good game. I'm excited to see uh, this one, maybe more than than a lot of the ones that that we'll talk about this week. Yeah, I mean this one is super interesting, Xavier, because uh, uh, you know, I, like like Nick mentioned, and I, I think it's just such a great point to make. This being added on late to the schedule means that you didn't really prep for that triple option, which is probably why Army is favored. But I think. When I first saw this game pop up, my immediate thought was, ah, Middle Tennessee is going to beat them. And that was like my first thought that popped up. So what do you think on this game? You know, ooh, this is tough. to This is this is really tough because of the fact that Nick brought up a great point with the triple option. It takes weeks, and it takes a long time to really get used to playing against a triple option team. You know, that's why a lot of people don't like to schedule Army in the middle of the year when everything is going haywire. They like to get Army over with at the beginning of the year because they can spend a little bit extra time scheming for them. And it's really difficult to scheme for a triple option because of the fact that it's rarely used. And more than anything, because a lot of people, anytime you talk to a person that has ever played against a triple option, they will tell you, just play. Don't think, just play. And the, the, that's so difficult to do because you're trying to figure out where the ball is, who has the ball, what's a fake, what's not a fake. When they came and played Georgia State last year, it was so daunting for that defense. And the only saving grace was our offense being so explosive. The thing that really is going to tell me who's going to win this game or not as the game plays out is time of possession. If Army can hold time of possession, they're going to win this ballgame. That's what they do. They're really good at it. And they make sure that your drives have to be 
three to five minutes to score because they've taken seven, eight minutes to put points on the board. And as far as Middle Tennessee is concerned, I don't know if they're explosive enough to get those drives, those meaningful drives, and turn them into seven points every time they get the ball. Because if their defense isn't clicking on all cylinders, it's going to be a very long game and very tough for the offense. That is why I'm going to go with Army here. That triple option to be a game that you just slotted in two weeks ago and try to prepare for on a, you know, in a delayed year where not everybody's on one accord, probably offensively and defensively anyways. Now you've got a triple option team in here who is drilled at this. And that's the thing about Army is that they're going to be drilled at this offense from day one. They, I said it with uh, in, our, in our last conversation. They're an older team offensively as well. These guys know how to run the triple option like the back of their brains, like the back of their hands. I got Army in this game. It's going to be really tight because all Army games are, but I think Army's triple option is just going to be too much of a, an oddity for Middle Tennessee to, to compensate for. On. Yeah, I'm, I, this one's so tough because I agree with you that it's going to be it's going to be rough going, but I think I'm going to I'm going to believe in Middle Tennessee. And I think they know too. Like you got to hold the ball a little bit. You know, uh, it can't be all Astro Hera passing. So it's got to be a lot of running. So it, it it's going to be a fun game to watch for sure. Probably uh, the most fun game of the weekend to watch. Like Nick said. Now this one is really really interesting, Nick. It's SMU at Texas State, and it's because the line opened at at uh, SMU as a seventeen point favorite, and. Now it's up over to 22, which means more than three touchdowns. And surprisingly enough, the over-under has dropped from 71.5 to 70 points. I think glancing at this game, you go, okay, SMU. But also, uh, I know you mentioned yesterday on the ITLCFF pod that you kind of like to, to look for Brady McBride because that offense at Texas State has got a lot of transfers in, so more talent than they probably had last season. But... Week one gelling is tough, but that is a big, big line to start the year with, with, you know, what we expect to be some sloppy play going on. So your thoughts on this SMU and Texas State game? Yeah, I, I it's 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 uh, very interesting because if, if things had played out like we expected them to, we might not be talking about any of these games in week one. You know, right, we, right, we would be yeah. talking about uh, the, the big time power five matchups. You know, right. Maybe, maybe I might try to sneak, you know, Arkansas state Memphis in on this you guys. seems like a game that I would but... pick. Yeah, for like sure, sure. I would pick to annoy yes. Xavier. Like, I'm like, yes. let's take a yes. look at that Texas state SMU game. I know that'll Can't piss be. Xavier right off. Let's, let's look at that one. So, but you know, it, it's, it's, really kind of fun that it worked out the way it did because I've been diving into these teams. I've been reading everything I could get my hands on, on South Alabama. I, I even failed to mention in my uh, extended soliloquy that I started to really warm up to South Alabama by the end of all the previews I had read and, and you know, all they've got a great uh, wide receiver core and, and, you know, all this stuff. So I, 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 I'm also feeling that way a little bit about, Texas State. And uh, part of that is I look at our statistical projections, which, which take into account coaching history. And, and I know that being a head coach and first time head coach is different than being an offensive coordinator. I know that doing it in the Sun Belt is different than doing it in the Pac-12 or the Big 12. But, you know, I look at Jake Spavital's history when he was at West Virginia, when he was at Cal, Texas A&M, 
uh, he was a big part of some very productive and, and explosive offenses. He coached a lot of good quarterbacks, a lot of solid playmakers, and, and has had success on that side of the football. I was really excited when they hired Bob Stitt and offensive coordinator last year. It apparently didn't work out. Personalities clash, what have you. Jake Spavital took over now as, as the play caller. So he he's back in his element calling offensive plays. And I, and I think Texas state is going to take a step forward. I know that they're excited about Brady McBride. It, it looks like, you know, that was a, a very tight competition, but McBride, a transfer from Memphis, uh, was on campus last year, just wasn't eligible to play. So he's gone through, knows his teammates. There's not a huge transition that you might expect as, you know, if this guy was a grad transfer coming in last minute. So there is some familiarity there. You mentioned it, Scott. They've got, uh, they brought in some, some talent, uh, from the JUCO ranks at the receivers position specifically uh, that I'm kind of excited about guys that fit more what Spavital wants to do, I think. And, and so I, I'm hoping that, you know, they'll be able to, to kind of get up to speed quickly as a result, because I do think they've got some playmakers. They've got a veteran uh, offensive line. At least they've got a few starters back. They brought in a grad transfer from Texas. Hopefully it'll help sure that up a little bit. And, and then defense was the strength that there was a strength last year, uh, but they are basically starting over. They only return four starters on defense. One of those is out with a torn ACL starting corner, uh, Kimbrell Winters. Uh, they're, they're arguably their best returning defensive player. A defensive tackle, Kevion Patton, has been severely limited in fall camp because of an injury. So defensively, Looks like it, it's going to be a bit of a, a you know starting over uh, potentially uh, for for Texas State. But if you're thinking about okay, offensively they take another step forward, maybe they're going to be playing a lot of you know fun, high scoring games. And it it would not shock me if we get a little bit of that even here in week one. SMU is a big big talent edge. Again, we 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 project that out take everything but talent, and that includes home field advantage. If you missed it that we've talked the last few weeks, we, we knocked down home field advantage a little bit because of the restrictions on uh, fans in the stands most places. It's now one and a half points for an adjustment instead of two and a half. But take that out, take out the history, take out uh, everything but talent, and SMU we expect uh, to win this game by about 15 and a half points. If we're looking only at you know, coaching history and things like that, we still think SMU is going to win by two touchdowns. But, of course, that's less, considerably less, than, than 22 points. You mentioned the current spread. We throw everything into the mix, including a little bit of home field advantage because this game is at Texas State, oddly enough. You wouldn't necessarily expect that. Uh, we think, you know, our, our numbers give give Texas State a, a decent chance of, of covering that. Our projected point spread is 20.5, which – you know, a, a little over a point uh, shy of, of what uh, the experts have right now, the, the odds makers. But uh, ev when everything lines up for me, and, and that's part of why I wanted to give give us, you know, three distinct looks, uh, or, or at least, you know, two distinct looks and one that kind of incorporates everything. When they all line up, I feel a little more at ease. You know, I, I've said so many times last year when we were doing this, like, man, I feel a bit nervous about this projection. Or, or if I didn't voice it, I was certainly feeling it because I always, <laughs> I basically, 
hate it, you know, and I'm saying this is this is what our numbers say because it gives me anxiety. But when when all the numbers line up, when I look and, and it's all maroon and gold on, on this side that says against the spread, uh, I feel a little bit better. And, and certainly it could be wrong. But when tax, when Texas State, we see that the talent's not that that different when we see that, you know, the coaching history is not that different when we see that we put it all together and we still think that they can then cover, I think there's a chance. And, and maybe this is a team, Texas State, that people uh, – now they're taking a closer look because we wouldn't have noticed this game before, but they just look at that uh, record from last year, Texas State or, or South Alabama, and think, oh, this team lost nine games. And, and so obviously SMU, I remember watching them on college game day. They were in the AP Top 25 for a week or two. think it's going to be a blowout. I think it could be a little bit closer, even though SMU is very good. Our numbers do like them. They're the fourth best team in a very, very talented AAC. Uh, Shane Bouchelle, great quarterback, top 10 receiving core. A lot to like about SMU, but I think Texas State can can take a step forward and, and keep this game relatively close, keep it within three touchdowns. So I feel decent about uh, our final score projection of, of 42-21. Uh, SMU still win. Easily, but I yeah. think I think uh, Texas State can, can keep it close for a little bit, and SMU maybe pull away for uh, a, a late, you know, three touchdown cushion. I I gotta say, Xavier, I like the cover too. I think it makes a lot of sense here because you know, while you know, if this was Week Five and SMU had been gelling a little bit, and we saw Texas State probably closer to what they were last year than really coming out of that yet, then okay, but. We saw the sloppiness of Central Arkansas and Austin P. It may not have been an important game as far as college football goes, but I think it really set the tone as to what to expect for this week one of college football. So um, that being said, you know, I think Nick is right where SMU will dominate the game and win, but I this line is too much for me. Three touchdowns and a point. It's just, it, it's too much for me. I think I would easily take Texas state here. Um, you know, not maybe wagering a ton of money here cause it's still week one of the college football season, but uh, I do, I like Texas state in this game to cover. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I really love Texas state to cover. And, and here's the biggest reason why for me, they played last year. And I think this is where we're getting a lot of the same energy that we got last year and this year for they, uh, SMU won 47-17. But what's lost in that is that at halftime, it was 13-3. It was not a blowout affair at all whatsoever. SMU is a team that showed last year the capabilities of not only starting slow but playing down to their competition. They did it when they lost to Tulsa last year. They they, they show the ability to not come to play every single game. And this looks like one of those games where they might be a little big-headed, Think we beat them, we beat the brakes off of them last year. Why not do it again this year? And they start slow. And and Texas State capitalizes off of that, gets a couple early drives to come together. And at halftime, we're talking about a 10-10 game. Where now it's not only just where whether Texas State will cover the spread, but what can Texas State get the upset? I think SMU will overlook Texas State to an extent. I think they will ultimately win the game. But I thought I I think Texas State should more than cover. I have the final. I think SMU will win by about 14 points. I think it'll be actually relatively tight. Um, my own, my biggest concern is that SMU starts hot because if that's the case, then who knows how far yeah. they can put up. But I don't think that they will. I think they'll start slow. I think most teams in week one are going to start slow. 
out of the out of the gates, and that only helps Texas State in this in, in this uh, scenario. As much as I love SMU's offense, I think they will put a, I think final score somewhere around 34-20, right around there, where I think they'll play well in the second half, kind of what they did last year in a similar fashion, but they're going to start slow in Texas State. will capitalize more off of it this year than what they were able to do last year. Yeah, and moving down here to Memphis hosting Arkansas State. I love this one because, uh, look, you know, Memphis – uh, new head coach, new OC, new DC. You know, I, I know that, uh, you know, that they're pulling from what they had. So uh, for the most part, so not a, a huge change, but still uh, some changes. And they didn't get any spring practices in where Arkansas State had 11 yep. spring practices. Um, and this is a high, high scoring offense as well. That's why the over here is uh, 69 and a half. It started at, it's already bumped up to 74 but the line for memphis has also increased they were minus 16 to start minus 19 uh is the line now so nick this is um i feel like memphis is gonna have the talent edge but um i don't know this is a really interesting one yeah for sure and and this is uh to to be a little bit of a you know shameless promoter at, at, at times you know hey it's week one it's first of the month so we're we're, we're going to talk about the Patreon maybe a right. bit more, but uh, you know, we, we put out, uh, first of all, we don't, we don't, you know, sell picks. We, we don't uh, tout and say, you know, we're, this is the lock of the week of the century of, of whatever. We're, we're not that kind of show. We do talk point spreads because it's sort of how we can grade ourselves uh, and specifically, you know, the numbers that we uh, are, you know, that, that, that we built through, all these different avenues and, and want to be able to, to keep score in some way. And that's, that's where a lot of the conversation uh, focuses on. But, you know, if, if you are a better, if, you, if you're interested in that sort of thing and you want to use our tools, you know, as part of your process, uh, we, we keep this stuff updated all the time. Our projected point spreads have been up since, March, right? And they update anytime we make a move, you know, might go up and down, what have you, but also throughout the week. So on Sunday, I put out a, a projected point spread. Uh, you know, the once the, the final whistle, it used to be the Hawaii game, whatever it's going to be this year, uh, hit, hit send. And, and these are all the projected point spreads for next week. That's usually 12 to 18 hours before we get the first uh, next week lines coming out of uh, Las Vegas or, or offshore or wherever. So if you want that, you know, first look, early look, and, and of course, you know, we do make changes. Those things will change over the, the course of the week if a guy opts out or there's a major injury that we didn't catch or, or something like that. But they're not going to change that much usually. Uh, but you would you would see in this particular situation at, at the beginning of the week, like you mentioned, Memphis a 16 point favorite. Well, our early uh, projected point spread when Kenneth Gainwell was was part of the uh, the deal. Uh, we had Memphis as you know an eighteen point favorite. So if if you really liked Memphis and, and wanted to be on that side, we were on this, that side on, on Sunday and, and on Monday. But when Kenneth Gainwell opted out and and you know then just sort of the the course of the the week and this line actually has moved up to Memphis, you know minus nineteen. All of our numbers are, are now on the side of Arkansas State. 
Memphis is more talented for sure. Brady White, I, I wrote something over the offseason, went through and, and wanted to determine who is the what quarterback has the biggest impact on our numbers. It's Brady White. Because if if you you know remove him from the situation, they're gonna start Connor O'Dare, who I'm sure, you know, they, they have uh, uh, high hopes for next year potentially. But the drop-off from a maximum-rated, 100-rated player in Brady White to a guy who's a 71, that's big. Had a bigger impact on our projected point spreads than any player in college football. So uh, they're talented. Demonte Coxie is the leading career uh, returning receiver this year as far as career uh, yardage. So, you know, they, they've got some guys. Defensively, they've, they've also got some guys. So they're the more talented team. We expect them to win for sure. But Arkansas State's pretty good. They've got two solid quarterbacks. They lost a ton of production to the receiver position last year, but I actually feel really good about it. I did a little bit of a deep dive into uh, Jonathan Adams over over the offseason, and he was the third guy behind Omar Bayless and, and Kirk Merritt last year. Bayless, of course, was was incredible, but Jonathan Adams, he, he has that sort of potential. This is a 1,000-yard-plus you know, double-digit touchdown type receiver. I thought maybe he was just a product of the system. I, I don't think so anymore. Former basketball player, incredible leaping ability. He's 6'3", something like that already. So he, I think, is going to be a clear number one receiver. Dahu Green is a, a, another big target, former Oklahoma uh, recruit. They brought in a couple of guys, uh, Rashad Paul from Texas A&M, probably going to be a, a return, you know, bigger impact in the return game first, but uh, is a, you know, former high three, low four star type receiver. They brought in Javon Halls from Cincinnati. So, so they've got some guys. They're, they're going to be able to find uh, guys to, to catch the football from, you know, probably going to be uh, Logan Bonner right. for the most part. But, you know, Lane Hatcher also played really, really well when Bonner was injured last year. So whoever it is, Arkansas State is going to score. And, and we expect this to be a pretty uh, high scoring game. Arkansas State is very, very young on defense. They do have a, a stud in the interior of the defensive line, Forrest Merrill is probably one of the uh, legitimate, you know, top NFL prospects as far as uh, Sunbelt players go. Uh, he was hurt last year. A lot of guys were hurt for them defensively last year. They actually completely changed their scheme in the middle of the season uh, because they had so many injuries and, and wanted to get their best 11 guys on the field and, and they, they didn't perform great, but uh, you know, maybe better than we might've expected. So Arkansas state's going to be a, a tough team to beat. They're the third best team in the Sun Belt uh, behind Appalachian state and, and Louisiana, according to our power rankings. So uh, there, there's reason to be optimistic that Arkansas state can keep this game close. All of our numbers line up with that. The talent edges give Memphis a six point edge. That's relatively close. Projected point spread, 16 and a half, basically. And then the projected scoring margin based on our stat projections is 12. So, you know, now that the, the number has moved up to 19, uh, I feel even better about, you know, being on the side of, of Arkansas State. So, you know, hopefully we're, we're moving against, you know, that, that, that move will help us instead of hurt us. Usually it's not a great sign, but, you know, I, I feel pretty good about Arkansas State. The research I did in the, over the offseason and then the way the numbers – shake out that, you know, doesn't uh, take my opinion into account. So feel pretty good about Arkansas State that they'll be able to keep this one relatively close. Uh, yeah. Final score, sorry, 45-28. Sorry, our prediction. 
So, uh, you know, 17 points, but line up to 19. So, uh, what what are you thinking here, Xavier? Yeah, I'm thinking more of a 45-35 game. I genuinely think Arkansas State can play with Memphis. It's going to be a shootout. It's probably going to be my favorite game of the weekend because it's going to be zero defense play. Um, but that's it's going to be a shootout. That is going. That is the ability of both these teams to throw the ball around all day, all night. Uh, you know, I don't know if there's any bets for yardage count, but both quarterbacks going over 400. Count me in. I that, I just think that you know both of these offenses are so dynamic. And neither one of these defenses are what you would call great. You know, they're not stalwarts for any for, uh, any parts of Imagine. I think that Arkansas State can stay in this game. I really do. I'm not going to go out on the limb and say that they'll get the upset Upset after learning that Kenneth Gainwell was, not, was going to opt out. I almost decided to do it, but I'm going to be a little bit more reserved on that pick and say I think they'll do more than just cover. I think that they'll give Memphis a really good test in week one. Like I said, I think that this week one bug is going to bite somebody. I don't know who right. it's going to do. Hmm? I said right. Yeah, 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 I agree with you. I think it's going to bite somebody that does it. And for me, it might happen in this Memphis game where Arkansas State, you know, they may not be expecting as an explosive offense as we've that I've seen game in and game out in the Sun Belt. You know, they might underestimate who knows, but I think Arkansas State can stay in this game. And like I said, final score for me, Memphis wins, but it's going to be tight 45-35. I think I'm going to take the under on this game is what I'm going to do. If I'm going to bet something on it, I think I'm going to take the under because like we saw, you know, sometimes you're going to have big plays like that first play mm. in the uh, Central P uh, or uh, uh, Austin P, uh, Central <laughs> Arkansas game, whoever pees in someone is in Central somewhere game. Uh, you know, the, there's going to be plays like that where a guy slips. That's the type of sloppiness we're talking about. But most of the time, the sloppiness is going to be on a handoff on a uh, guy running a wrong route, something like that. So it causes turnovers. Most of the time, the sloppiness doesn't necessarily add up to scoring. It uh, leads to stall drives and punting and, and things like that. So um, I'll take the under on that game. I don't know if I would push it either way as far as the spread goes because like Xavier said, it's going to bite someone. And the last game we have to talk about here is uh, the Monday night game, uh, BYU at Navy. And the spread on this one started as Navy as a two and a half point favorite, but it is swung over to BYU mm. as a point and a half uh, favorite. And the line has also dropped from 55 and a half to 52 and a half, Nick. So this line uh, kind of moving all over the place already. Yeah, it, it's been kind of wild and, and it's weird that as the, uh, as, as the line has moved, ours has moved in the opposite direction. I just had to, to do a, a quick change in the, the graphic that we're working from here, but behind the scenes that, uh, you know, when I, when I first built our matchup tool uh, earlier this week and, and uh, released that to our patrons on Monday, BYU was just had the edge in everything. Uh, we, we thought they were the most talented team. You know, everything we said about Army uh, can repeat for Navy, our numbers unless they're a super productive player like a uh, Malcolm Perry, who ended up with as a 100 rated player before he left last year, uh, you know, our, our talent numbers aren't going to catch very many uh, Navy players. And, and so, you know, we certainly expected BYU as one of the more talented uh, non-power conference teams. They're, they're, you know, in the fifties, in the sixties, in most of our uh, overall talent numbers, 
uh, you know, we expected them to have a, a pretty big edge if we're only looking at talent. And, and that projected point spread was 12 points. But of course, again, like we said, with, with Army, uh, scheme matters. The style of play matters. The, the, you know, the triple option defending it for the first time. BYU's defensive coordinator went on record uh, what a week or so ago saying he's never coached against the triple option. And this is also a late addition to the the schedule, you know, and and so maybe don't say that. <laughs> right. yeah, why you- yeah, let let us let us figure that out on our own because you know, yeah, first time you see it, you know, guys, their head can spin for for a, a drive or two. It, it takes a little while, even if you know what you're doing, and and you know, if you're not necessarily the the coaching staff hasn't prepped for it all summer. Uh, you know, you didn't expect Navy to be on your schedule. That puts you at a disadvantage. So that does worry me. So, so I, I certainly, uh, first of all, even if that wasn't a consideration, I would have expected uh, this to, to, you know, narrow for, for Navy right. to, to have a legitimate shot. Double-digit favorite just didn't seem right to me uh, for, for BYU here, even though I'm, I'm relatively high on BYU, like Zach Wilson. I love Matt Bushman. Unfortunately, suffered a, a season-ending uh, Achilles injury. The, the potential All-American candidate at, at tight end just a couple of days ago. So that's when we got that news. That's when things shifted because early in the week when we released, you know, the matchups, we had BYU favored about half a point. Uh, when the, the Matt Bushman news came out. And, and oddly enough, I think the line had moved a little bit this way already. But BYU, according to the, the Vegas Insider Consensus, which that's the, the line we use for our official projections that we grade and, and keep you know a log of. By that time, BYU had moved to a favorite. It, it was a pick them for a little bit, and then it was a point, and then it was a point and a half. And then when I, I take that move, you know, take 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 Matt Bushman out of the the depth chart is an 88 rated player, solid, not spectacular overall, but you know, and, and the tight end position doesn't matter a ton, but that was enough because he's the most experienced, the highest rated, most productive receiver BYU had coming back. It, it you know, it was enough to flip this to Navy being favored. And, and, you know, now we have Navy as a, a basically a little over a one point favorite. And so if they are uh, the underdog officially, this is our first, time uh, that our projection uh, actually has uh, the wrong team favorite, we think. So we're, you know, our numbers are, are officially on Navy side, even though BYU has a talent edge, they have a slight edge when we're looking at uh, the stat projections, but put it all together and things shift toward Navy to win this game, a very, very close game, uh, but think that the scheme uh, will will you know be enough? Think that Dalen Morris is is going to do enough as a first time starter to replace Malcolm Perry? He's not Malcolm Perry. Malcolm Perry was a special special player, but they've got Jamel Carruthers, who I really really like at fullback. They've got C.J. Williams, who can uh, run, can catch. Uh, I'm really excited to see Chance Warren play, whether it's receiver, wing back. He might play a little bit of quarterback they they absolutely love him he's going to be somebody you're going to want to watch I think Navy's got enough going on that that they're going to be able to keep BYU off balance they're probably going to get an early lead because of that uh unfamiliarity 
and then I think they're going to be able to do just enough to hold on. Our, our final score projections, Navy 28 and BYU 27. Yeah, I think, Xavier, I like Navy more in this game, too. Not that they, they don't have their own faults and, and things like that, but um, yeah, I don't really care for BYU's uh, I don't really care for BYU's offense that much. I mean, I like Zach Wilson, but losing their best piece in Matt Bushman, it definitely hurts, and it really hurts for continuity in week one. And then, you know, look, I like Navy, but that triple option needs to be, and it's the same deal with Army as well, uh, it needs to be crisp week one. Yep. And, you know, both those teams, Navy and Army, are going to have brand-new starting quarterbacks uh, rolling out week one on a, you know, uh, real quick schedule with fewer practices than ever. So, um, I don't know. I think once again on this game, even though the under is so the over under so low, I think I'm going to take the under on this one again. Uh, so, um, what, what are your, uh, what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, and Nick, Nick drops. Nick can't stop dropping facts here. He says, uh, "Devil's advocate." BYU has a top fifteen offensive line versus a smaller uh, line yeah, from yeah. Navy, and that they also return three uh, former starters at DB from injury. So uh, nice notes to have. Thank you, Nick. I was just uh, putting that out there. Yeah, yeah, just, just throw, <laughs> yeah. Hey, look, we need it all, man. We'll, we'll take everything we can get uh, when, when before we bet, of course. But Xavier, your your quick thoughts on. Uh, you know, BYU and Navy. I think this game comes down to the quarterback play. Which quarterback can keep the ball, you know, can, can be less sloppy. Let's put it that way. Sloppiness is going to be all over this game. But if it's a mixed pitch or a couple of turnovers from Zach Wilson, for me, because I do genuinely think that Navy's offense, like I said, with Army is, is more of a drilled offense. These guys know what they have to do. They're ready. Their assignments are pretty uh, ingrained in them from day one. I think that they have a, le- a little bit more continuity than what you're going to see out of a, out of a BYU team. And, and I think that doesn't play well into Zach Wilson. This is a guy who likes to take risks. If you watch Zach Wilson and BYU play it all last year, he reminds me, and this is just based on the amount of risk he takes. He likes to, you know, he trusts his arm a little bit too much. He likes to d- run out of the pocket, maybe when he doesn't need to. And for me, when you have a Navy team that's going to give you limited opportunities to score the football, that doesn't play well for Zach Wilson, especially with the lack of continuity that they're going to have at the on the offensive side of the football. He's going to take some risks that just don't make sense. You know, he's going to try to fit it in in between two guys, maybe throw a pick. And if you give the ball to Navy too much, they're just going to eat the clock away. And you have nothing to give offensively because you're not on the field to do it. Uh, and, and this game is going to be a war of attrition. It's going to be who makes the least amount of mistakes and maybe who has the ball last. I think Navy wins this game. I think it's going to be ugly. I'm thinking 24-20, uh, whoever gets the ball last is going to win this game. So I'm going to go with Navy here. Uh, I think that they just have an opportunity. I think, yes, well, they may have some continuity issues, Nick. Uh, I-, I think that they'll have less continuity issues than BYU. And although you did harp on their on their defense and their DBs being back, how much do the DBs actually matter in the triple option? That can be debated upon. Uh I think Navy's just is going to be more ready to go on Saturday, and I'm or yeah, and I'm, and I'm ready to see Monday. I'm Monday. Sorry, right, 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 and I'm and I'm ready to see what Zach Wilson does with the pressure of knowing that every drive you might need to score, and that's my biggest issue here is that lack of opportunity that you get when you play a team that eats up clock like Navy does. I I also feel like you know the 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 line is so close, right? And 
and Nick, your line is so close as well, but I don't feel like this is going to be a close game. I feel like it is going to go one way or the other. Um, and if I had to pick one way or the other, ugh, I guess I would take BYU. Uh, uh, you know, just, you know, like, like, Default like you to said, the more talented team most of the right, time. Right. Exactly. I'm just nervous to do that with Army, Navy, and Air Force specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they yeah, can burn exactly. you, when you when you rely on talent too much. But I, I get yeah. it. I That's where my head was at originally. Right, right. So when, when you just sit and, and you think about how this game plays out, I, I think I see uh, BYU walking away the winner, but it definitely uh, it is going to be a fun one to watch on Monday night. That is for sure. So I'll be doing uh, my, my last couple fantasy football drafts and uh, and watching that game uh, and uh, seeing what goes down in it. But uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for us today, guys. So um, obviously a fun week uh, weekend coming up. Uh, game starting today as you're listening to this most of you on thursday with games following on saturday and even getting a monday night game in there so lots of fun coming up with college football and we will be back next week to talk about uh, some of these games and look uh, forward to the week ahead and we're rolling we're in the regular season now so uh you know hopefully uh, very few more opt-outs and um you know we're uh, we're gonna get rolling downhill here so Remember, you can follow us all at Bogman Sports, at CFB Winning Edge, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.